You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah. This is the Daily Social Distancing Show, and today is February 8th, which means you only have a few days left to prepare for Valentine's Day. So why not surprise your partner by doing the most romantic thing you could possibly do during quarantine? Book a really nice hotel and leave them alone for an entire day. Anyway, on tonight's show, Tom Brady keeps doing Tom Brady things, where to go on vacation after you stormed the Capitol, and the endless scandals of the Joe Biden presidency. Plus, we're gonna be talking to Super Bowl winner Leonard Fournette and renowned surgeon and author Atul Gawande. So, let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, This is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with the Super Bowl. It's the world championship of a sport only played in America. And yesterday's game was one for the record books. This morning, Tom Brady is running out of fingers for his rings, capturing his record seventh Super Bowl at age 43. I think we knew this was gonna happen tonight, didn't we? The Bucks didn't just win, they trampled last year's champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, 31 to nine. The weekend also electrifying on stage, singing some of his biggest hits in a slickly produced halftime show. Using mass dancers to keep things COVID friendly. Hell yeah. What a great halftime show. And it looks like the weekend finally found a use for all that toilet paper he's been hoarding. And how about Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl ring? At this rate, he's gonna be the first player with a Super Bowl toe ring, people. I mean, at this point, Tom Brady has led the kind of life that eight-year-olds narrate to themselves in the backyard. The crowd goes wild. Tommy wins his seventh Super Bowl, and now he's rich, and he's married to a supermodel, and now he's riding a dinosaur. And look, I know a lot of people don't like Tom Brady. Anyway, Let's move on now from the Super Bowl to the big game in Washington. Tomorrow, the US Senate will begin its annual impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. And there's three possible outcomes. He could be convicted, he could be exonerated, or the most likely one, he could commit new crimes during the trial that he'll get impeached for next year. But whatever happens to Trump, hundreds of his followers are already facing consequences for rioting at the Capitol. Although at least one of them is getting a chance to cut loose before she might get locked up. A woman accused of participating in the deadly Capitol riot will get to go on vacation later this month. The judge in Washington, D.C. granted Jenny Cudd's request to travel to Mexico. The motion was granted and filed yesterday. Cudd's lawyers say she had a prepaid weekend retreat for herself and her employees at Becky's Flowers to go to Riviera Maya, Mexico. The retreat would reportedly serve as a work-related bonding time for employees and their spouses. Oh yeah, insurrection at Club Med Cozumel. Honestly, if I were this woman's employee, I'd be a little nervous to go on a bonding retreat. I mean, these aren't the kind of people I'm putting on a blindfold and going on a trust hike with. Okay, I'm sticking my hands out, all right? Closing them like you said, wait, hold, hold on. Am I, what am I doing? Am I strangling Nancy Pelosi? Damn it, not cool, Jenny! What I love about this is that this woman planned the vacation before she participated in the riots. So in her head, she was gonna go to Washington, overthrow the government, and then what, hit the beach for two weeks? I'm like, how serious of a revolution were you planning, lady? 
These rioters were all shouting that it's 1776 again, but none of the founding fathers were like, on July 4th, we declare our independence. Then on July 5th, we get that beach house in Cabo. Thomas, you're in? Shit's gonna be lit, bro. And look, obviously I want this woman to be held accountable for her actions, but I also kind of want to party with her in Mexico. I mean, think about it. If she and her friends can turn a boring election certification vote into this, you best believe their spring breaks are gonna be wild. And look, I know a lot of people are angry about this story, but the law says that if you can post bail and you aren't a flight risk, you can go back to your life until they actually convict you of a crime. And I'll be honest, I agree with that concept. No one should sit in a jail cell because they might be a criminal. If anything, the problem I have is that people who can't afford bail have to stay in jail. I mean, what are the courts scared of? No one is easier to keep tabs on than a broke person. You know where a broke person isn't going? Mexico, or the movies, or out to dinner. You wanna track a broke person? Well, they're at home. And finally, some education news. February is Black History Month, a beautiful time in America when Americans celebrate all the black people who died rather than help the black people who are still alive. But now, a debate about how to teach black history is causing a bit of a stir in one of America's least black states. In Utah, a school reverses a decision which would have allowed parents to opt out of lessons on Black History Month. This is happening at a charter school in Ogden, Utah. Initially, the school's director said he was asked by several families to opt out, and he obliged and sent out a document asking if other parents wanted to do the same thing. But now the school is backtracking after pushback from parents and Black History supporters. Wow. First of all, what an embarrassment for the school. If I were them, I'd try to play the whole thing off as an intentional history lesson. Uh, you see, parents? <laughs> you wanted to opt out, but you're not allowed to. Just like the slaves couldn't. Black history accomplished. <laughs> now, people are saying that trying to opt out of black history is racist, but even more than that, it's stupid. Because black history is exciting. It's got racism, war, oppression, Dudes with afros and leather jackets, if you have to opt out of something, you should opt out of boring shit like trigonometry. You don't need to know that an isosceles triangle has four sides, trust me. Regardless though, it's a good thing the school backtracked because this is a slippery slope. If you let kids opt out of black history, then you'll have to let them opt out of white history. And then what, Asian history? And before you know it, kids will be showing up to school like, back off, teach, I'm just here for lunch. But let's move on now to our main story. President Joseph Ramaphosa Biden. Over the weekend, Biden took a short break from his day-to-day -day presidenting to catch the Super Bowl from his home in Delaware. And if you aren't immediately outraged about that, well, you obviously haven't been watching the last 48 hours of conservative news media. Joe Biden is planning to travel across state lines to watch the Super Bowl, despite calls from the CDC not to travel. Biden and his wife, Jill, are going to spend the weekend at their Delaware home. Now, this just a few days after the CDC warned Americans against traveling this weekend, stressing it could increase their chances of spreading the coronavirus. What happened to the suggestion that you shouldn't travel during this uh, COVID epidemic. He's setting a horrible example and he's not practicing what he preaches in any shape, form or fashion. And if he really thinks that uh, going out and traveling at this particular point in time is putting people at risk, then he's doing exactly that. He's putting thousands and thousands of people at risk by doing this. Uh, it's very hypocritical. Why does he need to go, you know, what's wrong with the White House? What's wrong with spending the weekend in the White House? I guess. Un 
believable. You are setting a horrible example, Joe. If you go to your home in Delaware, soon everyone will go to your home in Delaware and then they'll expect snacks, Joe. And what are you gonna do? Buy tortilla chips for 300 million people? There's no way the store has that many. So you're gonna have to get those quinoa chips. And I know they're better for you, but they taste like cardboard, Joe. And don't tell me, oh, but Trevor, isn't it different because he's the president and he's flying on Air Force One? No. What if I fly on Air Force One right after Joe Biden, huh? Coronavirus can linger for hours, people. And I also know that people are saying, oh, come on, why are you criticizing Biden for traveling during the pandemic when Donald Trump spent every weekend golfing and coughing on the Mar-a-Lago buffet table and hosting rallies at the same time? But that's not the same. Donald Trump wasn't being a hypocrite because he wanted people to die of COVID. But it's not surprising that Biden bent the travel rules for himself because he's been president for less than three weeks and already he's had more scandals than we can keep track of. Although my friends, we are going to try in our brand new segment, Joe Biden, the worst president in history that we can remember. There are two things that are unforgivable for any American politicians. Releasing the aliens from Area 51 and insulting the troops. And last week, Biden's press secretary launched a gratuitous attack on the newest and bravest troops of all. White House Press Secretary Jem Psaki facing criticism for mocking the Space Force. They asked whether the president has made a decision on keeping or keeping the scope of Space Force. Wow, Space Force. It is an interesting question. Um, I am happy to check with our Space Force point of contact. I'm not sure who that is. I will find out and see if we have any update on that. Well, the top Republican on the House Armed Services Committee is now calling that comment disgraceful, and he's asking the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki to apologize. She's literally openly mocking a branch of military that was actually enacted by Congress with Democratic support. There's some arrogance there. There's a little condescension as well. A hundred years from now, the Space Force will be one of the important parts of our military. This is no joke. How dare you, Jen Psaki? Space Force is an illustrious branch of the military that was formed an entire year ago because Donald Trump had a weird sex dream about ELF. If you're gonna mock Space Force, maybe, maybe you should mock all the people who were cut in half when Neptune stole Saturn's rings and threw them at Earth. Oh wait, that never happened because Space Force saved us. Space Force is no joke, okay? This isn't funny. America's sending troops to space where they have to poop in a little bag. You think that's funny? And if the bag gets too full, the poop escapes and they have to chase the floating poop around the spaceship. Does that sound funny to you guys? A bunch of guys in fancy uniforms floating around a room trying to grab a poop. And then their boss opens the door and he says, what's going on? Ah, and then the poop goes in his mouth. Is that a joke to you? You think any of this shit is funny, huh? Now, insulting the military is bad enough. But before the Space Force scandal had even died down, Joe Biden took things a step further, this time attacking the honor and decency of our heroes in law enforcement. There is some controversy over comments that the new president made about these, uh, about FBI agents as a generality. He made these comments and it's getting a lot of reaction, listen. By and large, the vast, vast majority of these men and women are decent, honorable people. What should be taken away from that for him to say the vast majority of men and women are decent, honorable people. Why suddenly the the qualifiers on 
you know, the arbitration of who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. What percentage of people are we talking? Are 80 percent uh, good and decent people at the FBI? 90? Uh, can you be more specific? Yeah, Joe Biden, be more specific. Is it 99 percent? Or is there just one bad guy? Huh? Is it Doug? It's totally Doug, isn't it? I knew it! You know he cheats on Margaret, right? Like, what have you heard? But this is just reprehensible. How dare you say that the vast, vast majority of FBI agents are honorable, when clearly it is the vast, vast, vast majority. I mean, if you cared about those agents at all, you would have thrown in a third vast. And I especially understand why this must have been a shock for the folks over at Fox News, to hear a president slander the brave members of the corrupt deep state like that. I mean... I just hope that decent, honorable scumbags like James Comey don't hear about this. <laughs> now, look, it's not surprising that Joe Biden is bringing scandal to the White House. I mean, after all, his entire campaign was little more than just a front to launder money for his son, Hunter Biden. And just as everyone predicted, Hunter is already turning daddy's presidency into his own personal piggy bank. So Hunter Biden has a new book that is set to come out within his father's first 100 days. But critics are pointing out President Biden said his family wasn't going to do this. They weren't going to cash in on his presidency. Do you write a book for free? The real concern here, though, is Simon & Schuster is, is, the, is, the, uh, is the company that canceled Josh Hawley in his book, but they're doing the, the book for Hunter Biden. And how will this book be used? Uh, will, uh, will it be a kind of test of loyalty to Joe Biden to buy the book? Will there be mass sales? Yes, my friends, welcome to Joe Biden's America, where if you want a COVID vaccine, you'll have to pass a pop quiz on Hunter Biden's book. What important lesson did Hunter Biden learn in chapter nine? Uh, to believe in himself? Wrong! Give him COVID! And what if you're not getting the vaccine? Biden will still know if you bought the book. You know why? Because our bookshelves are in the background of all our Zoom meetings. Did Joe Biden engineer the coronavirus just to make sure we all bought his son's book? I'm just asking questions, but yes, that's what happened. This is what we're facing, people. Scandal after scandal after scandal. The unfortunate truth is that Joe Biden is incapable of doing literally anything right as president. In fact, even before his first day in office was finished, Biden had racked up three major scandals. Joe Biden made fighting the coronavirus pandemic the main staple of his campaign. However, many have noticed that Biden and other high-level officials at his own inauguration were failing to socially distance. Even wearing their masks was at times optional or not correct the way they were doing it when they were within six feet of others. Look, there was a lot of hugging going on, and these were not necessarily people who shared bubbles. Joe Biden hired private security as if he were not satisfied with the National Guard and the military. Uh, he wanted even more guns uh, at his behest. Joe Biden uh, jumped the gun a little bit today. He got sworn in at 10 minutes to noon. I don't mean to nitpick, but um, it does say noon according to the law. That's right, Joe Biden stole 10 minutes of Donald Trump's presidency, or as Fox News calls it, Tengazi. Who knows what Trump could have accomplished in those 10 minutes? I mean, maybe that's when he was finally gonna release his healthcare plan. He could have used that time to walk down half a ramp. And do you have any idea how much Fox News Trump could have watched in that 10 minutes? Like 10 minutes. 
So those are the many Joe Biden scandals exposed by the muckraking journalists of conservative media in just his first three weeks in office. And who knows, by this time tomorrow, we could find out that Biden left the toilet seat up, or even worse, spoiled the end of WandaVision. And when he does, we'll be there to tell you all about it in another episode of Joe Biden, the worst president in history that we can remember. All right, when we come back, Dr. Atul Gawande tells me what it's like vaccinating people at Fenway Park. And Super Bowl champion Leonard Fournette is joining us on the show. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Dr. Atul Gawande. He's a surgeon and a writer for The New Yorker who is helping vaccine distribution efforts at venues like Fenway Park. We talked about that, his latest reporting on coronavirus, and what the outlook is. Dr. Atul Gawande, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Great to be here. You are coming to us from Fenway Park, one of the many stadiums and arenas that are gonna be used as vaccination sites around the country. How is the rollout looking? You know, America's been in an interesting place where it seemed like everything was going well, and then all of a sudden there weren't enough vaccines, and then there were too many in some places. What does it look like on the ground right now? Well, I'm part of a consortium that's been running vaccine operations to scale up Gillette Stadium, Fenway Park, Reggie Lewis track and field here in Roxbury. And those have escalated. You know, we had to start at a few hundred a day. We're past 5,000 across all of these sites per day. And that will just keep on scaling upward. Um, And so I think that our problem of distribution will gradually get better and better. The two problems that remain, number Mm -hmm. one, you point to supply. Um, How much can vaccine get pumped out? It's a big deal that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was submitted for uh, consideration by the FDA Mm -hmm. just last Friday, and that will potentially bring more supply. The other big concern is equity. We are not getting to the, uh, the, the people of color and the rural settings, which have had some of the worst rates of, uh, of spread and, uh, and, brought, and bringing those people in is, has got to be a high priority now. Let's talk a little bit about your article in The New Yorker. You've written for The New Yorker for many years, and now more than ever, people are reading your writing through a different lens. Um, your most recent article, is entitled, Don't Tell Me What To Do. And it focuses on a really fiery town hall meeting in a small town in North Dakota. Why did you think it was so important to focus on a fight happening in a small town in North Dakota? And what do you think that tells us about the larger story about America, its vaccine rollout, and social distancing rules and masks, et cetera? Last November in North Dakota, that was the site of the, that was the state with the largest rate of infections, the largest rate of hospitalizations, and deaths were, uh, deaths were climbing. And Minot was the hottest of the hotspots in that state. And so what I wanna understand is, how does a community in the midst of all of this uh, react? And you know, the state had resisted having any kind of a mask mandate Uh There continued to be battles over the basics. And so this city council had a member, uh, her name was Carrie Evans, who said, you know what? I'm just sick of it. I'm going to propose a mask mask mandate and force it to vote. And what unfolded was this debate. It was really reflected a city, a townwide debate over whether the government could tell me what to do when we aren't willing to do it. And would that work? 
they they fought it out. It was closely voted, but they did adopt the mask mandate. Um, and that was only the beginning. People ignored the mask mandate after it was adopted. Uh, it didn't have any penalties associated. But then hospital leaders started coming out and saying, our hospital is completely overrun. And wow. we'll see in place after place is a story like this, where we're late to coming to realizing what needs to be done. But in the face of what becomes just a terrifying level of uh, a viral transmission, uh, Carrie Evans said it was like steam. You, you go to the store and you felt like it was this steam. You know there are infected people when walking around the store. And that was, um, uh, that was the world they were in. You're a doctor. And so that means you are in the world of convincing people that medicine can and will help them. You're also in the world of listening to people's concerns about why they're afraid to participate or not participate in taking of medicine or not. There's a more interesting dynamic conversation happening right now in and around America's schools. Many parents want their kids to go to school. Many teachers are saying, we can't go back into the schools unless we're vaccinated. The CDC has come out and said, teachers don't need to be vaccinated to be at school with these kids. Where do people stand? Because it feels like there's so much contradictory information. Are the kids a threat to the teachers? Are they not? Can the teachers survive without getting a vaccination? What should we be listening to? And, and, and what, is the, what is the voice of reason in the room? Well, you know, in many ways, this is what I was trying to unpack even in my North Dakota, because I spent a lot of time with the people on the other side of the argument, the people who said, who said and what you hear, whether it's teachers saying they don't want to go back to school because mm-hmm. of fear of the virus, or others who say, I don't want to fear the virus, get rid of the masks. What you have is a tremendous amount of pain. I mean, the level of pain that you see in the country, the people I, were ta- I was talking to who said they don't want to wear the mask are the people who are feeling like their jobs are disappearing and they're seeing it happen. They are seeing their kids not being able to go to school. Uh, they've seen them lose a whole year of you know, a real robust education. Right. And so I understand where folks are coming from at the same time, this is the battle. We have to argue it out. And ultimately, the science is on the side of saying, yes, we can return to the schools. Let's bring testing in, and that can help provide reassurance. Yes, we can defeat this virus, but you have to wear the masks. And that means curtailing things like your favorite bar or being out here at Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. But but we are making our way through it. It is tremendously hard to keep your foot on the pedal for what are going to be months to come. We are going to slip. We're going to have this battle and debate, and it's, going to, it's just going to continue. And this is the nature of our democratic fight over there. Yeah, it's going to be a fight. It looks like we're still in the middle of it. And um, hopefully we're not just in the eye of the storm, but we're emerging from it. Um, Dr. Gawande, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, good luck with your efforts out there at Fenway. Thank you. The latest issue of The New Yorker with Dr. Gawande's article is available today. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to a man who went from being jobless to winning the Super Bowl in one season. That's right, folks. Leonard Fournette is joining us on the show. Stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with Super Bowl champion and Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back, Leonard Fournette. We talked about last night's game, his journey to becoming a Super Bowl champion, and what's in store for the future. Leonard Fournette, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show, and more importantly, welcome to the Super Bowl championship. 
<laughs> Thanks for having my guy. How does it feel, man? I mean, like, like 26 years old, your first Super Bowl appearance and your first Super Bowl win at the same time. And on top of that, you, you really played a part in the team. Like, I've been part of winning teams in high school where I did absolutely nothing, and then I got to stand up at the, you know, and just celebrate with the team. But you were actually part of the team winning. Do you understand the gravity of what has happened to you? What is going on in your head? Uh, I'm just gonna start off this from the beginning of the season, you know, for being cut from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, it was confusing, you know. Um, I did everything I could to help the organization, also my team, and uh, just become a better man to help my teammates too. So just from that, uh, then from Tom Brady to Devin White reaching out to me and wanting me to join the the Bucks organization to help him get a ring. And I had an up and down season. You know, it wasn't the best. Uh, my stats wasn't how they usually be, a thousand yards, uh, as many touchdowns as I wanted. So right. it, it was always up and down for me. But uh, when the playoffs came, the playoffs came and I, I flourished. You know, uh, it's something I could tell my kids, uh, my grandkids, how I just persevered through Whatever I was going through, stay focused, kept God first. And now I'm a world champion. <laughs> you went from um, carrying the nickname Playoff Lenny. And uh, I loved your tweet, which was, uh, well, I guess now it's going to be... Uh, <laughs> Super Bowl Lenny. It's going to be Super Bowl Lenny. I love that. You know, I, I love that because of the pure joy and the elation. You know, this, this has been quite a journey for the team as well. I mean, you got blocked from going to the Super Bowl for the first time. You got stopped by Tom Brady. And then you fast forward to 2021 and Tom Brady is there, you know, celebrating with you. A Tom Brady who reached out to you personally was like, I want you to play with me. What has that journey been like playing with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time? Uh, that journey, man, it's been, it's been crazy, you know, to see, to see why he has the resume he has right. and why he's so respected in the game and his ritual how he does in order to win games, big games, or perform, perform under big lights. I've seen it firsthand. You know, I'm in the backfield with this guy. We're in meetings together. He's calling me at night, asking me what plays I like or what I think about this run or what I think wow. about this pass protection. And uh, just to see how he cares about his teammates, it's amazing, you know. And I see why he's, he's considered one of the best in the game. I would love to know because I don't get the opportunity to talk to many people who have scored a touchdown in a winning game at the Super Bowl. I would love to know when you're running into that end zone, when you're running towards it, what is going through your mind? Are you thinking or is your brain just going? Is your, are your muscles moving without you? What is happening in your brain in that moment? Well, I could say uh, it's just a skill set we have. You know, it's a, it's a God, it's a God given a talent that he gave to me. You know, and uh, it's just everything that's in the game, just instincts. You know, you practice so much, uh, your skills, the drills you do, you work at it so much, it's become second nature in the game. I say it's from practicing, you know, uh, hard work uh, and dedication, you know, uh, trying to perfect your craft at the end of the day. I feel you there. I have, I have a similar thing. Uh, sometimes I'll go to the kitchen and I'll open the fridge and I think I'm going to get water and then I get ice cream. And I don't even know how that happened. It's just like an instinct. It's just something inside me that gets me going. Listen, listen, that's, that's just a bad habit. You can, you can break a bad <laughs> habit in 30 days. That's all, 30 days you can break a bad habit. Just try to drink water for at least 20 days straight. <laughs> um, let's talk about life now. I mean, this morning must have been surreal for you. You know, the night 
after a victory and then the morning after, you know, because the morning you wake up and it's like, was that a dream? Is it real? Because there's a moment of silence. I, I know, I think you know what I'm talking about. There's just a moment where it's like, wait, did any of this actually happen? What was the feeling like with the family? Because, I mean, it could have been one of two mornings. It could have been like one of those, shh, keep quiet, daddy's not in the great mood mornings. You know, everyone just like, just give him hugs. Or, I mean, it was jubilation. What, what's that feeling like for the family? Uh, I mean, it was great, man, to have my family come on the field and celebrate with me. Uh, something as a kid, I've always dreamed of playing the Super Bowl. Right. And now that, that that finally happened, and my family was there to witness that, uh, me score a touchdown or even much play in the Super Bowl, for them to come on the field and celebrate that with me, uh, there's no better feeling than that, you know? Uh, like, you understand, like, all those things I was going through prior to the season, before the season, uh, my family felt that. They know how much I love football. They know how much I put my 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 soul. I dedicate myself to this game. And when things was going right, you know, uh, they feel my pain too. So my family played a big part in my success about, you know, keeping my faith, holding my head up. My mother always told me, guys, it's, it's a testing time for you, son. But at the end, you're going to come out better than ever. And that's what happened. I would love to know, uh, before I let you go, where the journey goes from here. For many people, winning the Super Bowl would be the end. You're young. You're amazing, you're great at what you're doing. So this is just the beginning. This is just part of your story. You're also somebody who's been very vocal. Like, you know, people applauded you for, for being outspoken during the Black Lives Matter protests. You were leading some of those protests. You've spoken your mind. You know, you're, you're a man of faith, a family man. You have so many things going on. I'd love to know, what do you dream for now going forward? Because as you said, this was your dream. So now where do your dreams take you from here? I think from here on out, you know, uh, becoming a, uh, uh, I'm already a, a better man, but being the best that I can be for my kids and for young, for younger guys, younger generation that looks up to me, you know, they're showing them that, you know, I'm from New Orleans, you know, so they're showing them things are bigger than New Orleans. Right. You know, uh, I've seen, I've been on both sides, you know, not having money to being rich, you know, so I know how it is. And I just want to give those guys uh, just hope, you know, the little things couldn't, could inspire a generation or a person. You know, I just want, I won't be that God in light. Uh, hopefully, guys look up me to like Tom Brady, like Aaron, you know, the great son of the game. And I just mm -hmm. want to be part of that legacy to say that Leonard Fournette, my last name, helped change the world, become better. Well, I'll tell you this, man, with a Super Bowl ring, you're on the path to greatness already. Super Bowl Lenny, thank you so much for joining me on the show, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, my guy. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, this month, as you know, is Black History Month. So please consider supporting Barbershop Books. They create child-friendly reading spaces in barbershops and provide early literacy training to barbers, all to inspire black boys and other vulnerable children to read for fun. If you're able to, go to the link below and donate whatever you can to help create a future where all children identify as readers and enjoy learning. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if you want to opt out of Black History Month, you have to say it to a black person's face. Good luck. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 